0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: The antithesis of male headship is male dominance. And this is where the confusion has come in sometimes. Male dominance is the assertion of man's will over the woman's will, heedless of her spiritual equality, her rights, and her value. The Bible does not teach or condone in any way male dominance.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, in a message titled, Christ, the Church, Wives and Husbands. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: Ephesians 5:22 Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body Therefore just as the church is subject to Christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her As we've been looking at living the Christian life, we've come to the issue of family relationships and instruction to wives, husbands, children, parents. Since all of these roles are in the context of marriage and family, as I pointed out, we're we're just sort of taking some time here to do a series within a series. Of course, we're still making our way through the epistle to the Ephesians, but um, this section has to do with family, so we're doing a series within a series. Last week, as many of you know, we, we looked at marriage in, in just the general sense. We looked at the, the, the subject of marriage. We saw that marriage uh, originated with God. We saw uh, that God has a specific purpose in marriage And we also looked at how it is that we might uh, glorify God in our marriages. So today we come to a consideration of the specific roles within marriage, beginning today with the wives. So Paul starts here in the 22nd verse uh, with these words, um, wives, be submissive to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, before we actually get in and and break down the text, before we consider the details of the command, I want to remind you that these instructions to both wives and husbands are said by Paul to be a picture of something bigger. And I think that this is really the place that we have to start because as many of you will agree, the verses that we're going to look at over the next few weeks are some of the most challenging verses in all of scripture in as much as they're, they're telling us you know, how to live in the context of the marital relationship. And to some extent, we look at some of it and say, oh, you know, this is tough. This is challenging. This is hard. So I think, though, it will help us as we consider these commands, it will help us to keep the bigger picture in mind. Remember, these things are ultimately a picture of Christ and the church. So it's important to remember, wives, I'll address you first because that's where we start today, but it's important to remember that What you are doing when you submit to your husband is a living illustration of how the church relates to the Lord. And likewise, husbands, what you're doing when you love your wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church, that is as well a living illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. This should be the lens through which we see and understand these commands. If we see it this way, if we take it out of the the realm of just my own personal marital experience, that's of course important, but we've gotta see it in the, the larger light of the gospel here. And I think if we do that, I think it will be helpful when we are personally challenged by these commands to be able to go back and remember, wait a second, this isn't just simply about a wife submitting to her husband. This isn't simply about the husband loving and cherishing his wife. It's about something greater than that. It's about Christ and the church. So the word submit, it's an evil word to some. The word itself was often used in a military context, and it simply means to place oneself under the authority of another as in subordination to a superior officer. Now, this word itself and this command here to the wives has been so uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied uh, over the long history of the church, so it's important that we really consider what's being said here today. So when when Paul says to the wife, wife, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, does this mean that women are spiritually or mentally inferior to men? The answer is obviously no. It doesn't mean that at all. But think about a few things here with me on this. Is Jesus inferior to God the Father because he submits to him? The answer is no. We know the biblical teaching of the equality of the Father and the Son, yet Jesus is in a subservient role to the Father. Are church members inferior to church elders because they are called to submit to them? Again, the answer is no. It's not a matter of inferiority. It's not a matter of supremacy. It's a matter of order. God is a God of order. In a military situation, is a sergeant an inferior human being because he is subject to his captain? No, of course not. Neither is the wife inferior to the husband. Submission is part of God's plan. This is the way life works according to the one who all life originates from, according to God. So man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally. In the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a god glorifying way. The wife's call to submit shows the biblical principle of male headship, which is modeled, as we read here in the text, after Christ, the head of the church. So remember that term, uh, male headship. Male headship, the antithesis of male headship is male dominance. And this is where the confusion has come in sometimes. Male dominance is the assertion of man's will over the woman's will, heedless of her spiritual equality, her rights, and her value. The Bible does not teach or condone in any way male dominance. See, that's, that's where the confusion has come in. As some people have interpreted the very command uh, for the woman to submit to the man as um, giving the, the man a position of dominance over the woman. But the Bible does not teach that. It does not condone that in any way. As a matter of fact, the teaching of the New Testament flew right in the face of the views generally held at the time. So we don't realize it so much today, but the New Testament was truly the the most liberating factor in the history of women. And I'll show you that in just a moment. But as we go back and we look at the the context at the time, whether it was the Jews or whether it was the Greeks or whether it was the Romans, in in each case, culturally, the attitude toward women was really more like one of um, male dominance over women. Take the Jews, for example. To the rabbis, and they were the spiritual instructors of the Jews, to the rabbis, women were servants. In fact, the rabbis taught the men to pray like this. God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Amen. That was a prayer. That was a rabbinically... (laughs) structured prayer. They also said things like this, he who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. They said, one is not so much as to greet a woman publicly. They said this, let the words of the law be burned rather than committed to a woman. And then a a really extreme statement. If a man teaches his daughter the law, it was though he taught her lechery. So this is a completely distorted perspective on women coming from the Jewish culture of the time. Now, the Greeks were absolutely um, in the same kind of a situation. One Athenian orator and statesman said this, We have courtesans. A courtesan was a high-class prostitute. For the sake of pleasure, we have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. And we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and being faithful guardians for our household affairs. Nothing different among the Romans. According to Roman law, a man had absolute power over his wife and all her possessions. He could divorce her at any time for any offense whatsoever he had full authority to chastise his wife, and in some cases, even to kill her. To kill his wife for a non-adulterous offense, the husband ordinarily required the consent of an extended family tribunal. But in the case of adultery, no such consent was necessary. In Roman culture, a woman was essentially the slave of a man's lower passions." Now, listen, similar perspectives on women are still prevalent today in Islamic, Hindu, Buddhist, and animist cultures. Modern anthropologists and sociologists who blame Christianity for the oppression of women are either ignorant of the facts or they are guilty of historical revisionism. You see, it, it, you can't, you can't blame Christianity. Now, certainly, occasionally here and there, you've got uh, a church, maybe a, a movement within the church, or uh, certainly individuals who are uh, practicing more of a male dominance. But it, but that's never been the view of Scripture the Bible elevates women to a most honorable place, and a wife submitting to her husband is God's good plan for women. Now, some of you might argue, of course, you're going to say that because you are a man. (laughs) I I thought about having Cheryl teach this today. And of course, the Bible says that because the Bible uh, is the byproduct, they say, of a male dominated culture. And it's true that the Bible was written in the context, to a large degree, of a male dominated culture, but this is where we see the radical difference between the Bible's teaching about women and the views universally held at the time. Jesus and his apostles radically broke with the traditions of their day regarding women. That's the facts. Jesus publicly associated with women. We see that in the Gospels. Remember what the rabbi said? A man could could not even be seen in public with a woman. Jesus was seen in public with women. He, He publicly associated with them. Not only that, he called women to be his disciples and allowed them to serve in the ministry along with him and as you read through the gospels you find these references to these various women that were there and in some cases they were actually even as jesus would travel from place to place there those certain groups of women traveled along with them as a matter of fact it was women who were first entrusted with the message of the resurrection and this is radical especially when you consider that in these days, a woman could not testify in court. A woman's testimony was absolutely worthless. But Jesus, the first people that he commissions to go tell about his resurrection are the women. Go tell Peter and my disciples. He speaks that word to women. So you see, all of this was about as counter-cultural as you could get. Even Paul, who is often vilified as a sexist oppressor, he's the one who penned these words. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. So these words went entirely against the cultural grain. Paul referred also to certain women in his writings. He referred to certain women as his fellow workers in Christ. So all of this was revolutionary in those times. As one historian put it, the birth of Jesus Christ was the turning point in the history of women. So with that as a background, with that as our foundational understanding, now let's come back to the command. Wives, submit to your own husbands. So we've seen the the word submit is um, often used in a military context, to come under the authority. But I want you to notice, wives are not called to submit to anyone else's husband. They're not called to submit to men in general. They're simply called, if they're married, to submit to their own husband. Now, you know this. We live in a climate where the idea of submission the submission of a wife to her husband, is not only looked down upon, but in some cases, it is openly ridiculed. In some cases, it is seen as some radically outdated way of thinking. So that's a perspective that we certainly have in the culture today, but we also have this perspective to some degree in the church today there's been an infiltration of this radical feminist kind of theology that, is, that has come into the church. And again, you have, um, throughout the long history of the church, you you do have seasons where the church has not conformed to the biblical ideal. So you've had times where there, there has been more of an oppressive kind of an approach to women. But then usually what you get is Rather than a balancing out of things, you usually get another extreme put it, and that's what we see with uh, uh, theological feminism. So, women, this is what you need to understand. This command is not outdated or sexist. It's God's will for the wife. This is God's will. And when we understand that it's God's will, which would naturally mean it's good, because God doesn't will bad things. If we get it on that level, then it's going to make it so much more palatable. It's going to, it's going to make it a good thing instead of seen as a negative thing. So here are a few questions, though, practical questions. So wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, a woman asked, well, what if I disagree with his decisions? Well, listen, if you didn't disagree, then there would be no need to submit. Submission, the, the, only, the only time submission is necessary is when there's a disagreement. So this is where submission comes in. It's where you would have a difference Of perhaps opinion or something like that, but you're coming under the authority of somebody else. So unless agreeing with your husband's decision would lead you into sin, you are to follow his lead and trust God. That's what submission is. You're putting yourself under the authority of someone else. Now, another question that has been asked is, what if my husband is an unbeliever? Now, Some have thought if your husband is an unbeliever, then automatically this command has no application because God certainly would not want me to be submitting to an unbeliever. But Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 1, he said, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word. Now he's talking about the situation where a woman would be married to an unbelieving man. He doesn't obey the word. But even there, he says, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wife. So again, unless your husband is asking you to do something sinful, you are to submit to him. But notice what Paul says here also. He says, as unto the Lord. So you see, this is how you do it you have to sometimes look past your husband because you disagree. You don't like this thing, this idea, this direction, whatever it is, but you do it as unto the Lord. You know, there are things, and I would imagine that you've discovered this already. You will if you haven't yet. But you know, there are things that God will require us to do as Christians that we don't necessarily like, we don't necessarily want to, you know, just purely from the standpoint of, of our flesh. But we do it as unto the Lord. You know, there are, there are people that I might say, well, you know, I don't want to forgive that person. That person's really hurt me. That person's been cruel and hateful. And, and they've really gone out of their way to make my life miserable. I don't want to forgive that person. But the Lord says, well, I want you to. I'm calling you to. So even though I might not want to do that as unto the Lord, I do it because I want to please him. And I know in the end that what he wants me to do is the right thing. So in some senses, it's, it's like that in the marital relationship. There are times when you, you have to look beyond your husband and you have to look to the Lord and you have to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this as unto you. And I'm going to do this because of the bigger picture that I'm I'm a representative, the woman uh, would say, I'm a representative of the church. This is how the church responds to the Lord. So I'm, I'm going to do it on that basis. Now, Paul here in the context, he talks about the headship of Christ. So Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And so likewise, the husband is the head of the wife. So as we go back, and Paul does here in the passage, as I pointed out previously, he takes us back to Genesis. He takes us back to the beginning. He takes us back to God's uh, original plan.
0: For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Finding the Right Hills to Die on by Gavin Ortland. The world is divided over issues like race, gender, sexuality, and health. But there are even greater divisions in the church, divisions over doctrines. But how do we as Christians move past doctrinal divisions in an effort to maintain unity, but without compromising the essential truths of Scripture? Well, in his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Gavin Ortland provides a guide to help you prioritize doctrine according to four different ranks along a spectrum of doctrinal importance. This book will challenge you to consider the balance between faithfulness to God's Word and the need for Christian unity. If you want to be as effective as possible at advancing the gospel in our time, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of his ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God.